Sunward Sky, Episode 2.3 Control Meg stared at the small screen in front of her, willing the information she'd been fixating on for the last half hour to change. It was a fruitless exercise, but for the moment it was distracting her from the pain she was suffering from her wounds. They weren't serious, definitely not as bad as Alyssa's had been, and Meg had sent her gallivanting all over the ship to reset the thruster direction. The tiny pixelated screen was the only one left in the bridge she could still get any sensible information out of. The windshield HUD had gone down with the crash, as it was an extravagance a broken ship with very little power reserves wouldn't be able to afford. So too were the main controls. The large touchscreen desks which had housed a digital equivalent of the knobs she was now pushing and pulling to navigate the menu. When all else fails, she thought, you can always use physical controls. Not that she was any good at them. The last time she'd done the compulsory manual emergency training had been well over three trips ago, probably more than a year on Terran time. Oh well, too late for that now. To be fair, she thought, there wasn't much she'd remembered from the course that had dealt with shipboard conspiracy and mass sabotage to induce a worldwide blackout, nor what to do when one of their number went rogue and tried to help by crashing their ride home into a large tin can at breakneck speed. Nope, for some reason that never showed up on the training videos. She grinned wryly to herself as she manoeuvred one joystick around and pressed into various menu items, running the calculations again. The ship was now approximately 20% lighter than it had been, courtesy of the wing getting demolished. Its orbit had been thrown off course and sent it careening after the hit from the satellite. With the crew remaining cargo and other accoutrement on board, it was still a huge pile of scrap metal moving far too fast, even after she'd managed to get the course trimming properly again. Far too fast for her comfort. Several hundred kilometres an hour faster than the cruising speed the Sunward Sky would normally be doing at this point in the mission. That in itself wasn't a problem, but the spin that was inducing the false gravity wasn't completely aligned with the centre of the ship. It was pulsing, throwing things up and down ever so slightly. And more than anything else right now, she didn't want any more shit to break. Her computation came back, and she let out a long, tired sigh. The screen had a small image of a blue-green ball, with a small white dot hovering over it. The dot was at the front of a small, solid yellow line. In front of the dot was a dashed yellow line. The dashed yellow line rotated in a tightening spiral around the ball, before the angle abruptly steepened and terminated in a red circle on a large green section of the ball. They had less than a week to find out how to stay in orbit, or they were going to crash. Meg tabbed back to the home menu and began trying a different calculation. The panic was rising from her stomach, despite herself. He hadn't wanted this, Healy thought, as he stared down the two conspirators he'd once counted among friends as colleagues. Brett and Elise were staring down at the ground, where war lay, intermittently glancing back at Healy to make sure he wasn't about to lay them out in the same fashion. He was breathing heavily. In a pinch, he could have taken a lease if he'd had to, but he knew it had to be done for if Brett decided to join the fracas. She's okay, Healy said. I didn't kill her. He indicated down to the prostrate form of Petty Officer War. She looked like a mess. It hadn't been him that caused the blood in her mouth. He'd just put her down after she'd staggered into the room demanding treatment but threatening to kill him for his betrayal at the same time. Brett looked nonplussed. Elise looked furious, but Healy knew he'd be able to appeal to at least one of them to help his victim. Listen. She's knocked out and 
she's bleeding into her mouth. I have to move her out or she might choke. Fuck you, Elise spat, but Brett's expression softened. Good, Healy thought. Just let me move her. Put her on the dock, then we can talk, I promise. The hum of the ship came through the recycled air as the two of them considered. The unconscious woman was totally limp in the corner now. One of the cabinets on the wall had been rent off in the crash, and whatever contents there had been inside were leaking slowly across the floor of the room. Clear, pungent liquid flowed across the floor gelatinously, and the throbbing of the sick ship rattled everything around them. Brett spoke again. Elise needs help too. Alyssa's muscles were screaming at her. She was blinded by tears and sweat running into her eyes, leaning back, pulling Isa's lifeless form further down the corridor to the medbay. She didn't know why she should be going to the medbay. The girl was dead. The sclera in her eyes was pooled with blood, and impact marks were all over even the small parts of the body that weren't hidden by the spacesuit's underlayer. Alyssa didn't care. She just thought if she could get to Healy, something could be done. Anything. Even if it was just to confirm the awful evidence in front of her own eyes. To let her know she wasn't stuck in a nightmare and the only innocent soul she'd found on the spaceship was actually dead. The corridor was long, and her legs screamed at the constant pushing. Isa's body was slight but cumbersome, and recalcitrant to being moved by the older woman. Alyssa dragged, trying to time her efforts to mix with the lulls in the rotational gravity. She stopped at a corner to catch her breath. Murmurs and susurrations from the other crew members in their cabins echoed down the halls. Some of them were cries of pain or for help. Others were conversations between cabins of people who had no idea what had happened. She'd found herself in the same place she'd been when she'd found the scarabs for the first time. The locked port on the ceiling and the bulkheads cast deep recesses into the light thrown from the walls. The secondary power systems weren't able to keep up with the demand on the whole ship. Wayfinding areas were particularly dim and sections of the ship were so destroyed or steeped in shadow that it was a danger to walk there in the unstable gravity, let alone drag a corpse. Alyssa was doing it anyway. Her mind wasn't working properly. She needed help, and she was going to go to the only place she knew where to get it. The same place that, unbeknownst to her, three members of Project Blackout were pinning Healy into a very difficult position. The radio wasn't working properly. Or at least... It wasn't bouncing off the planet-wide receivers the way it should, so Meg was only able to try and hail to control tower from the sunward sky when the ship wasn't in the Earth's shadow. The orbit was so out of skew now that a 90-minute orbit left only 15 minutes in time for each rotation that she could contact the base and try to explain what the hell had happened in the last 24 hours. It had seemed incredible to her that nobody had tried to hail her. The ship's location transponder was still working, and they were away off course and wandering all over the place. Once she'd realised that the communications were relying on line of sight, everything had made sense. She checked the corner of the near use of screen. The time was ticking down to when she could hail the control tower. She had a few minutes, so she tried to build a packet of information to send once she got there. She pulled the flight record, the trajectory, the weight class and distribution of the ship, the full error log and a recording from the bridge in the lead up to the crash. A yellow warning light flashed on the screen. Yellow wasn't immediately pressing, so she tabbed over to it and switched it off. She had other things to deal with right at this moment. She'd look into it later. She ran another calculation, trying to maximise the amount of time they had until they were going to burn up in the atmosphere. The most she'd managed was eight days. The least, six. She punched in another series of numbers, another round of coordinates. 
set to jettison what she could, use what fuel reserves they had, then hit the calculation. She leaned back and rubbed her exhausted eyes. The deep emotional dread that came from the realization that she already knew the answer, that she could already tell there was no way out of this, was threatening to well up inside her and take her over. She bit back the panic again, forcing it down like so much bile. In all her years of being on nav for all the different ships she'd worked on, she'd never even dreamed that she'd be in a situation like this. For the moment, all she could do was keep firing the attitude thrusters to keep adjusting the ship's wayward spin. The orbit would stay stable for at least two more days, even in the worst scenarios that was the case. But the more time we waste, the less options we'll have. The panic at the back of her mind shot at her. Fewer, she thought, then laughed at the absurdity of correcting her own grammar. The computer chimed. She looked. Again, the dots circled the earth along the dashed line. Again, it began to destabilize in two and a half days. Again, the fuel burn and jettisoning of all non-essentials pushed the ship into a higher orbit, like a shot of energy to an electron shell. But it lasted even less time after that. The simulation clock had a countdown. Six days. Fourteen hours. Thirty-seven minutes. Twenty-nine. Twenty-eight. Twenty-seven. Twenty-six. With each beat of the second counting down, Meg tapped her thumb against the side of the archaic screen. The soft thunk echoed dully around the room, adding to the strained thrum of the engines. The countdown was silent, but its presence grew larger and larger in her mind. The numbers loomed until they were her whole world. A countdown so inevitable, she didn't even know how she'd thought she could escape of it. It was hopeless. She was out of ideas, and now her only choice was one of ice or fire. Fling herself from the orbit of the station and drift into the void, or wait until the re-entry and burn with all the other souls aboard. Her head felt engorged. The sound of the engines, usually so calming to her to remind her of her control of the sky, became a cacophony and pounded at her skull. The blinking dot of the spacecraft and the ever-changing numbers of the countdown seemed to fill her field of vision. She was breathing hard, hyperventilating. A sharp edge on the table cut into her hand, a bright red streak of blood appearing on the white of her knuckles. She didn't notice. They were all going to die. Don't you fucking move, said Healy, as Brett made to move toward the taller man. They'd spent the best part of the last half hour setting up the two women in the darkened med bay. Healy had got war into one of the beds with Brett's help, lifting her up into the couch and turning her so as to let her mouth drain. Healy, who administered some IV painkillers that had the added side effect of keeping her unconscious until such time as he decided he could deal with her again. Then they'd eased Elise in as well. Her injuries weren't as severe, but she was still in a lot of pain. She got some drugs too, and her eyes glazed over and the grimace faded. He'd probably be in for it with the Board of Medicine if anyone ever thought to check the dosages prescribed on the robotics. Brett had done nothing but help silently and glare as Healy had seen to the two Project Blackout operatives. Brett was fuming, and Healy had been keeping an eye close on the man, and as soon as they were done administering what little help they were able to do in the near-destroyed medbay, Brett had made to move toward him, and Healy had quickly warned him off. "'Don't think you're in much of a position to be making demands, Healy,' he said, after Healy had gruffly rebuked him. It would behoove you to keep in mind that I'm the only thing stopping your friends here from dying, Healy said, 
That's not a threat. I'm keeping them alive anyway. It's what I do. You just need to know it before you try to do anything to me. Brett glanced at the bed with a lease in it. He was at the head of the bed, staring down at the tall old man. Why'd you do it? He asked after a few seconds. Healy sighed. Don't. What? You turn on all the work we've done in the last three years at the moment it's supposed to all come to fruition and you don't like it when I ask why? It was our chance! I'm not going to tell you, of all people. Now get out. I'm seeing to my patients. Why? Why help them? They're the same people you threw under the bus. They're the people who you'd worked with for so long towards a common goal. You signed up to the project so you could stop what happened to you happening to other people. You're a cripple. And these two, he gestured to the table, are going to become just like you because of what you did. I hope you're happy. You signed up to help them. You signed up to... Don't, growled Healy, every syllable or whisper that held the threat of a thunderstorm. Tell me what I signed up for. Now get out. I am tending to my patience. Brett was stunned into silence. He stepped back carefully, hands raised placatingly, and patted carefully at the midday door. As he left, he gestured lamely at the two tables and spat, why even help them, and then slammed the short door shut behind him. Because, thought Healy, it's what I do. It hadn't always been like that, though, he realised as he bent to work on War's runes. Her lungs needed re-inflating in the first instance, and she was in dire need of some reconstructive work that he'd have to hodgepodge until he could help more. No, some years ago he'd had exactly the kind of furious zeal that Brett and his current charges now possessed. The screaming fury that the only path he'd had available to him had taken his chance of a normal life down on the rock. He'd had friends, such as they were in the slums. Most of them had been the same kind of drug-addled layabouts that he'd been, only they'd been in a position to do that for a few years and still pick up the pieces if they didn't die before they got it together. He'd been on the rock bottom, starving, a needle in his arm more often than not, when he'd had the job offered to him in exchange for rehabilitation. Well, they'd cured him of the drug problem alright, but by the time he'd tried to go home and do something more with his life, he'd found himself unable to survive on his home planet. The gravity crushed him. He found it hard to breathe. He couldn't walk without shaking, and even that only for a little while. He was as much a pariah as he'd always been, and so the ship had become his home. He'd railed against it. Fury had taken his every waking moment for years, white-hot and hateful. His friends had moved on. They'd probably forgotten all about him by now, the sad teenage junkie who went into the sky and lost the earth for it. But that was years ago, and his anger had cooled since. The blessing of age, and time, was its ability to dull the aches of existence, and the blazing anger had dulled to a coal. He'd become a ship medic, then undergone training for almost anything that could occur on the ship. A sort of catch-all physician. When he'd been approached by Blackout, furtively, asking what he thought of the way the spacefarers were treated, that coal had been prodded, and the anger had come back. The ghost of the impotent rage had burned in his chest again and had signed on and helped bring about what he thought was going to be the end of the world. But just as age had dulled the fury the first time, 
He'd found his appetite for hatred wasn't what it used to be. He'd gone to the meetings, heard the impassioned speeches and that twenty-somethings had been making about rights and control and freedom that had been made for years, and found that he was, more than anything else, tired. He didn't want the world to burn. He just didn't know any other way to make the pain stop. Then Alyssa had showed up. This bright Terran, the kind he'd always assumed didn't care or didn't know. But she did. She cared enough that she was going to test out her medicine on herself to see if it wouldn't stop the horrid neurodegeneration and palsy that plagued everyone he'd known about for any appreciable period of time now. She could help. She was not being driven by hate. She wasn't being driven by a lament of her own situation. She was putting herself in harm's way to help people like him. And the fact that there had to be more people like her on planet Earth made him stop. He couldn't go through with the plan. He couldn't plunge the world into the dark out of fear. He had to stop it. And the crash was the only way he'd known how. Now, again, he was alone. He was surrounded by people who wanted nothing more than to do him harm. He was stuck on a shattered machine that had been home to him for the majority of his life. He was scared, alone like he hadn't felt since like he'd been on the streets with a needle in his arm, and he had no idea what was coming next. But for now, he'd tend to his patience, because that was what he did. A scuffling sound came from the door, and it hissed and slid open. An exhausted, sweating Alyssa poured through the door and collapsed backward. Something hit her chest, something frail, barely clad, female. Alyssa looked at him, tears mingled in the sweat pouring from her brow. Help, she said, 